scripture reading this morning is uh, from Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. It's found on pages uh, 185 in the Pew Bible. And before we begin reading, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Joshua 10, 1 through 15. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent to Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large, large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There had been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. The word of God for the people of God. So you will remember that the Israelites had been deceived into making a covenant with um, the Gibeonites, Gentile group, about, we think, maybe six miles away by pretending to come from a foreign land, uh, from far away, 
And so what has happened now is Jericho, one of the major cities, has been destroyed. I has been destroyed. And Gibeon is now siding with the Israelites. The other kings are realizing if they start taking us one at a time, we're doomed. And they've got a strategic position by having these uh, cities. So they decide that they're going to come together and go and attack Gibeon, this Gentile pagan city that has, under deception, made a contract and a, a, a covenant with Israel. And God promises Israel to be with them as they go fulfill their covenant promises to fight on behalf of their pagan neighbors. So they go, and from the, the, the text, it's obvious that it is God who is fighting for them. The Lord who has told Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands, um, is now fighting for them. Hellstones come down. And then we have this um, miraculous intervention of the sun and moon. Now, this, this is a little difficult to understand um, some things about um, how we interpret this. Uh, first off, you'll, you'll notice it's set apart as poetry. And it's uncertain, is this poem a quote from the book of Jashar? Is the book of Jashar the, the part that follows? And in this, um, we have the, the, the sun rising and seen um, at the same time the moon is setting, something we've experienced. And this, the, the way they are is telling us the sun is rising. It's, it's coming up. It's not setting. And Joshua uh, prays. And whether it's Joshua or whether it's God saying this sun stands still at Gibeon, the moon in the Valley of Ajalon, it could go either way. But what is clear is there is something miraculous taking place. Now, many of us, uh, the traditional understanding is that the sun is held at midday so that um, they have time to conquer. Uh, some read this and think the sun might have held off on fully rising to give more cover of darkness um, for them to have a sneak attack. Others look at the poetic expression and parallels, for example, the song of Deborah, uh, where she says, from heaven the stars fall from their courses, and other portions of Scripture that talk about um, natural events in a metaphorical way of fighting on behalf of people to say there, there's something in the arrangement that's being held that um, shows God is attacking the, the other kings. However it is, the point is God is fighting on their behalf. He's, he's given the sun to stand still, the moon to stand still. They stop, and it holds for about a day, does not hurry. And the different understandings we can talk about and discuss, we all understand that a God who created the sun can make the sun do whatever it will, and a God who created the earth could provide the earth from whatever it will. And as much as we might get wrapped up in that, it amazes me that that is not at all what impresses the book of Joshua. There's never been a day like this, and we would say where the sun stood still for an extra day. What does he say? There's never been like a day like this. When the Lord heeded the voice of man, 
for the Lord fought for Israel. The amazing thing for Joshua is not that the son listens to God, but that God listened to Joshua. He heard his prayer. He intervened on his behalf. He worked a miracle that everyone was amazed by, but the amazing thing was God heard his prayer. Do we pray as though we believe God hears our prayers? Do we, do we pray for things that we can imagine, or do we pray for things in God's power beyond our imagination, before we could, further than we could even think of? Could we pray for the mountain to be cast into the sea? Could we pray for the sun to, st- sun to stand still? Could we pray for the, the, the one we think is far away from God to come to faith? Could we pray for one who is so discouraged to find hope? Could we pray for people so at odds to find peace? Could we pray for a renewal in our country? Could we pray for things beyond what we can ask or imagine that God can still do? I find it particularly interesting that we, we tend to ask questions. If God knows everything, if he's sovereign, why, why would we bother praying? God already knows what I need. Why should I ask? But look at the confidence here. God has told Joshua, go, I've given them into your hands. And so does Joshua just kind of walk out and say, well, God's done it. Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to fight? Why do I need to do anything? Now, that, 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 that confidence given to him is why he prays. That confidence given to him is why he can fight. He knows God is with him. And we know that God is working for us and, and redeeming us and doing good things. But that doesn't tell us to sit back and not contribute to starting new churches, to sit back and not share friends the good news, to, to, to sit back and not do good works for others, not to pray for others. It gives us the confidence and the courage to say, I'm going to pray, trusting in him to do what he said he's going to do. I'm going to work and trust him to do what he's going to do. And so we see this this amazing miracle being worked out in answer to prayer. And so however we work that out, if we understand that God is sovereign, God is doing what he's going to do, if that is leading you to pray less, you're getting it wrong. It should lead you to pray with greater fervency, greater strength, greater trust in the one who's called us to pray. We pray because he's told us he will do um, his will and his work, so we pray with that. What strikes me particularly interesting is the reason Joshua is praying. He's not praying that he might destroy his enemies and overcome their... Um, he's not praying, well, he's going to get the land, but he's, he's not praying immediately for this conquest. He's praying for this on behalf of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are the ones being attacked. And he's praying for them, and he's fighting for them, and the people are willing to sacrifice. The, they're putting their resources out. They're risking death to be faithful to their promise to these pagan neighbors. Anyone who wants to make this a book about tribalism and killing enemies misses a lot of what Joshua is telling us. Isn't it amazing 
that God is saying, these people worship false gods. These people do despicable things. These people are not like you. They don't believe like you. They don't look like you. These people deceived you and did things wrong against you. Now go love them and serve them and fight for them. Risk yourself to save them. Go out and keep your word and love your pagan neighbor who is so unlike you. That needs to be highlighted. We are at a time things are so divided. There, there's just so much political division. There's just so much to us and them in our country. There's just so much us and them that everything is kind of filtered through a political lens, and the church has too often bought into that. And that is not what Christ calls us to. It's not what the, the Israelites here are called to. We've too often kind of bought into the same tribalism. If, if somebody has got the wrong letter by their name, that we're going to see them either in the worst light or we're going to overlook their sins and failures because we're going to stand up for those who are with us and demonize those who are against us. And in doing so, we're nothing like the Christ we claim to serve. We're in a world that is just so divided. I saw it was a story this week that said um, college students, about 50%, roughly 50% of college students would not want to room with someone who had different political views. We've gotten so divided that some people's election year Thanksgiving meals are canceled because we're going to have different views on mask, virus, elections, things, all this stuff, and we're going to let it rupture families and friendships. We're going to take memes on Facebook over more value than coffee with a friend. Too often, the church has bought into that. But what do we see here? These pagans that are nothing like you, who believe things different, who have different views, and who have even harmed you and hurt you and lied to you, he still goes to keep their covenant promise to serve and to love and to risk. That is amazing. But isn't that what Christ would have us do? To go to those who think very differently, look very differently, view things very differently. That doesn't mean agree with them. doesn't mean that we change our views. But we love and we serve. And we hope to win some to Christ. We, we, we should have people wanting to know the gospel more than we want them to agree with our political views. We should hope to have people come to trust in Jesus more than we want to have them agree with our opinions. Watch the same news channel we watch. We want to be faithful and loving, and how do we do that? Well, the only way we do that is to recognize that we who were far off from God, who lied to him, who thought very different than him, who were in rebellion against him, a God that, as we sang earlier, we would never choose because we wanted to go our own way. When we look and we see here is a God who saw us 
and put forth in risk and suffering and giving and sacrifice came to fight for us and make covenant with us in spite of our rebellion to save us and rescue us from our enemies. Forgive me for the play on words, but just as the sun was hanging up at noonday fighting for their behalf, did we not see our son hanging at midday on the cross, fighting to destroy our enemies, fighting to destroy the enemies of those who had already rebelled and spat in his face? And if you realize that is your place with Christ, that he has welcomed you and he has loved you and he has accepted you when you are unacceptable, that he fought for you and loved you and made you his own, then you find the courage that you can love anyone You can show that grace that you have received and that forgiveness you have seen to anyone else around us. Let us love others as Christ has loved us. Let us not say, but they don't deserve it because they don't follow along this way. We didn't either. Don't say they they might squander it. We we would squander what God's given us. How, How often would we do the things that we would accuse others Rather, let us look at the faithfulness of his covenant promise and show that love and faithfulness to others. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.